we're going to transition now to um, reading and teaching from God's Word, and we're going to invite Sarah up here. She's going to read in English and Spanish, and I can hardly read English, so I'm excited to hear this for the second time. I'll be reading from Acts 20, verses 25 through 32, first in Spanish. This is the word of the Lord. Y ahora he aquí, yo sé que ninguno de vosotros, entre quienes he pasado predicando el reino de Dios, verá más mi rostro. Por tanto, yo os protesto en el día de hoy que estoy limpio de la sangre de todos, porque no he rehuido anunciaros todo el consejo de Dios. Por tanto, mirad por vosotros y por todo el rebaño en que el Espíritu Santo os ha puesto por obispos para apacentar la iglesia del Señor, la cual él ganó por su propia sangre. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will rise up even from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for three years I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Sarah. <clears throat> It's so great to hear the word of God read in multiple languages because the book of Acts has this point that it's making that the gospel is for all people in the whole world. And so I love that weekly reminder and thankful for people who are bilingual to bless us with those, those gifts of being able to read that way. Uh, if you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at Sound City Bible Church. Glad to have you with us. And for all of us, here's, here's where I'm at today. I am grateful that every single Sunday morning, when we gather together, we open the scriptures, we get to encounter the living God. Uh, whatever is going on in my life, whatever is going on in your life, whatever is going on in our church collectively, uh, there's one thing that we know is that when we gather together like this and the, the scriptures are opened and our hearts are opened, that God wants to meet with us. And I say that because <clears throat> um, as we read in the scriptures, we're not just learning about God. We're not just learning principles about God. We are encountering God himself as we sing, as we eat at the table, and as we read from the scriptures. And so I'd like to invite all of you to join with me in prayer that we would encounter the living God even in these pages. Lord, I ask and I pray for each and every single one of us that we would have soft and teachable hearts and that we would be aware of your presence with us here right now, Lord God. That we are not just trying to extract some principles from a, an old book, but we are seeking to encounter the resurrected Savior. Lord, would you guide my speech and, and guard my lips that I would only teach that which is in line with the truth of, of your word. <clears throat> and God, would you help all of us to grow more deeply devoted to Jesus as a result of our time together here today. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. You know, there's some chapters in the book of Acts, certain sections that just, it just kind of lines up really easy. You can kind of see the points. But the Acts, the book of Acts chapter 20 is kind of an unusual chapter because you have these disparate sort of things. You've got a, a long travel log at the beginning, a long list of cities that people visit. And then you've got a long sermon where someone dies. And then you have a long elder meeting. And I'm kind of looking at this like, well, what is... What is the unifying thread? Is it just length? Like, am I just supposed to preach three times as long on Sunday? What is, what is, what is, what is happening? And uh, in God's providence, my wife and I are going through a book of kind of some different classic devotional material. And uh, 
we read this section all about the idea of devotion to God. And as we read this, it just clicked in my mind that everything that takes place in this chapter can only take place. It's only possible because these early disciples have hearts that are just all in for Jesus. There's so many challenges. There's so many hard things. There's no way that they could do what they do if not for fully devoted hearts to the Lord. And so it just got me kind of thinking like devotion. Like how do I, how do I define devotion? What does devotion look like, right? I, I think of, you know, the young mother who's maybe got her first child or a young infant. You're up all night and you're nursing and you're changing diapers. Like there is nothing but pure devotion that would make it so you would do that. Do I get an amen from any of the nursing moms in the room? Like, like those things, those little humans, they're kind of selfish. Like they don't contribute really at all in any way to the household. And yet there you are just fully devoted, sacrificing and giving and, and, and loving and serving. And the idea of devotion came up last week. There's a, a, a new falafel place near my house. Uh, and I, so I struck up conversation with the owner and a younger guy. And I was like, man, like you're pretty brave to open a restaurant in the middle of a pandemic. And he's like, man, he's like, I've been dreaming of this since I was a kid. He's like emptied his savings out to open up this store. And he actually said business has been pretty good. And so I tipped him big and took my falafel and my Greek fries, happy as a clam. Man, that guy's devoted. I remember being in Alaska. Uh, I grew up in Alaska. I remember one time, maybe 15, 16 years ago, I've told this story before, but going into Costco in the dead of winter and there was a man outside asking for petitions. He wanted me to sign his petition and he had like frost in his eyelashes and he had frozen snot sickles coming down on his nose. His lips were purple and his hands were shaking. He's like, will you sign my petition to legalize marijuana? And I was like, bro, no. But that was a picture of devotion to his God. I mean, he was fully devoted and sold out. So what's, here's the question. Here's a really important question. What does devotion to God look like? What does it look like in our lives to be fully devoted to God? Uh, Francis de Salas, who's a Spanish uh, author and writer, preacher from the 1500s, he wrote in this devotion I was reading, he says, genuine living devotion presupposes the love of God, and hence, it is simply true love of God. Like, like devotion is nothing more than just love. Love. Just as it is the function of charity to enable us to observe all of God's commandments in general and without exception. How many of you wish that you could obey all of God's commandments in general and without exception? But it is the part of devotion that enables us to observe them more quickly and more diligently. Here's, here's the way that I, reading this and thinking about this, here's the way that I am defining devotion today. Devotion is where faithfulness meets passion. Faithfulness and passion come together and are devotion. There are people who are passionate, very passionate, very energetic, very uh, uh, just full of life and energy, but there's not the faithfulness element. It's the, the passion comes and goes. It waxes, it wanes, it rises, it falls depending on the day's mood. And by the way, there are people who are really faithful. They always do the thing that they're going to do. 
that passion's kind of low. It's just kind of a, well, I should, or I ought, or obligation. But when our hearts are set on fire with the love of God, and you marry that to the faithful, consistent, day in, day out, even when things get hard, I think that's what starts to look a bit more like devotion. Or to put it another way, devotion is simply wholeheartedness. Wholeheartedness. I have a heart that is undivided. I have a heart that's all in. I took all of the chips and I pushed them into the center of the table and said, I'm going all in on King Jesus. And this is important for us today because again, as we look through this chapter, we're going to see how their devotion is the only thing that can fuel their mission. Their devotion is the only thing that can fuel their commitment to studying the word of God and seeking truth. And that devotion is the only thing that can fuel a type of humble boldness, even in the face of difficult times. I'll explain more as we go. Let's just jump in. Chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now, after the uproar was over, that's last week when we talked about the Ephesian riot, where they were really mad because the gospel messed with their wallets. Now, after that uproar was over, Paul sent for the disciples. He encouraged them. And after saying farewell, he departed to go to Macedonia. And when he had passed through those areas and offered them many words of encouragement, he came to Greece and he stayed for three months. And the Jewish people there that were opposed to Jesus, they plotted against him when he was about to set sail for Syria. So he decided to go back through Macedonia. And he was accompanied by Sopater, the son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derbe, Timothy and Tychicus, and Trophimus from the province of Asia. These men went on ahead and waited for us in Troas. But we sailed away from Philippi after the festival of unleavened bread. And in five days, we reached them at Troas, where we spent seven days. Okay, just kind of a list. Skip down to verse 13. The list keeps going. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul on board. By the way, this is Luke narrating. He, Luke, the author of the book of Acts, he and Paul were traveling companions, but there was a little bit of distance and then they're coming back together. So you hear this we, we language and and about Paul. So then we're going to take Paul on board because these were his instructions since he himself was going by land. And when he met us at Assos, we took him on board and went to uh, Mytilene, sailing from there. The next day we arrived at Chios. The following day we crossed over to Samos. And the day after that we came to Miletus for Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he was hurrying to be in Jerusalem, if possible, for the day of Pentecost. All scripture is God-breathed and profitable. But that sure is a little bit like just, it, it feels like Luke was a doctor, right? He's a physician. It feels like, like the journal entry of a doctor who just wanted to remember all the cities he visited, right? What's, what is going on underneath the surface here? Think about this group of people that they're traveling. Like, I feel a little bit exhausted just reading this section of scripture. How do you think they felt actually doing this kind of travel? Getting the message of Jesus out, facing opposition from Jewish uh, religious leaders and Gentile authorities. Listen, people sometimes say, like people, you have conversations with people and they say, oh, I love to travel. Eh, That's a lie. Nobody loves to travel. 
People love being in different cities. Nobody likes the act of traveling. If you like TSA, you have a problem and we need to talk afterwards, okay? No one likes sitting in an airplane for six hours. No one likes traveling. No one likes going through security checkpoints. No one likes having your body's time zone clock completely rearranged. Now imagine doing it with sailing boats and maybe a donkey if you're lucky or just a lot of walking, like none of the conveniences of modern travel. People don't like traveling. But these people did it because they were devoted to the mission that God had given to them. And that's the first thing we can see is that wholehearted devotion fuels mission. Wholehearted devotion to God is what will fuel mission. Listen, uh, I am grateful for our international ministry partners in Uganda and in Mexico. Thank you to all of you who brought toothbrushes and toothpaste. Uh, to, to send down there in an, in an era when we can't travel as much. Thankful for our mission partners in Indonesia. Thankful for Sam and Shushan faithfully ministering the gospel in Armenia for years and, and at great cost. You, you guys, it is amazing to see people travel all around the world, but not all of us are called to this type of traveling sort of ministry. But guess what? All of us are called to be on mission for Jesus, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen in the church this morning? We're all called to be on mission. But here's the problem. Sharing the good news of Jesus in order to give the good news, what do we first have to give? The bad news. The bad news that though God is the creator and he's the king of all things, we have turned every one of us to our own ways. We have rejected him and we are in a state of rebellion apart from God and his grace. It's not fun to have that conversation with people, is it? It's not easy. People will and ought to react to the gospel message if we're actually preaching the gospel message. Hey, good morning, neighbor. I love you. It's great to see you. By the way, did you know that you're a sinner? Here's some cookies, right? Like that is not a fun Saturday morning. Again, if you think it's a fun Saturday morning, come talk to me because you got issues, right? But here's the deal. We all know that we're supposed to share the gospel. We all know that even if we're not traveling missionaries, we're all supposed to get over that discomfort and that resistance that we feel in our hearts and tell people that God loves them and that the son of God lived a perfect life and he died and he rose again. And now he is the king over all things and he's recruiting people into his family and into his kingdom. And it comes through repentance and it comes through faith. Like there's a mission that we are all called into. Amen, church family? This is hard. And what I want to say to you is this. There is no amount of you ought to, you should, that I could do from the podium that will actually convince you to go do that. There is no amount of inspirational, motivational speech that I could whip you all up into a frenzy that will really lead you long-term to live a life that is devoted to mission for God. It is only through a heart that is fully devoted to God, that we can live on mission. I remember a few years ago, if you've ever uh, spent any time around Pastor Kyle, you'll know that he, he is a gifted evangelist and the Lord just seems to open up opportunities for him that others of us don't always get. We, we try to go get lunch somewhere, go get coffee somewhere, and then we can't even sit and have our conversation because the, the barista at the coffee shop just starts spilling her guts and telling her life story to, to Kyle. And it's like, that never happens to me. People are like, here's your coffee, please leave. But for Kyle, they're like, I want to talk to you. You feel nice. And so uh, it's this amazing gift. But I remember at a staff meeting one time, Kyle was saying that and he's, he said, you know, I don't even know that it's as much of a gift of evangelism as much as it is just passion for Jesus. 
It's just love for Jesus. And that just kind of spills out. And that really, that really resonated with me because if I want to tell people about the gospel, it needs to start with this devoted, passionate, faithful heart before the Lord. It is only wholehearted devotion to God that will truly fuel mission. Otherwise, you're going to run out of steam. Let's go back to verse 7. Scooting back up a little bit. A little story we skipped over when they were in Troas. On the first day of the week, that's a Sunday, welcome to what we're doing, we assembled to break bread. And it's hard to know if that's just the dinner or the specific, like just a general dinner or specifically the Lord's table. Uh, I'm convinced that it's both. So they assembled on a Sunday to celebrate the Lord's table and have a meal together. So Paul spoke to them. But since he was about to depart the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. Get him, Paul! Yeah! Man, that's jealousy is rising up in my heart there. There were many lamps. Now think about midnight, dark, lamps, flickering, you know, oil lamps, candlelight. There were many lamps in the room upstairs where we were assembled and a young man named Eutychus sitting on a windowsill was sitting on a windowsill and sank into a deep sleep as Paul kept on talking. It is so encouraging to know that people have fallen asleep in sermons long before mine. And I'm watching you, I'm watching you youth up in the balcony. I see you there. Don't fall asleep. You'll fall. Uh, When he was overcome by sleep, okay, stop laughing. This is the serious part. He fell down from the third story, and was picked up dead. But Paul went over, went down, bent over him, embraced him, and said, don't be alarmed because he's alive. Now, the text is a little bit hard to to discern. Like, did he fall and actually die, and God, through Paul, raised him from the dead? Did he fall and everyone just assumed he was dead, and Paul went down and was like, no, 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 he's not actually dead? Either way, a miraculous saving of life took place here at the hand of God. Don't be alarmed because he's live. Now, after going upstairs, breaking the bread and eating, yeah, you need a meal after that adrenaline rush just took place. Paul talked to them a long time until dawn. Let's go. Yes. And then he left and they brought the boy home alive and were greatly comforted. Yes, thank you, Luke, obviously. What an interesting little story. Now, okay, (laughs) here's the thing. This is a portrait of men and women, young and old, that are devoted to studying the scriptures and seeking the truth of God in his word. It's interesting in here, in our English translations, there are two different words that are used that they're just translated as Paul talked. But there's actually two different Greek words uh, happening here. The first one is dialegomai. Dialegomai. Sound like an English word that we use? Dialogue. It implies conversation, a two-way street, asking questions and speaking to one another. The other word that is used here that says after, after the boy uh, was was saved and saved from the dead, uh, Paul talked a long time. The word there is homileo. The Greek word homileo, which is where we get our English word homily, which is Catholic for sermon. There's a room full of Protestants. That joke didn't work at the 9 a.m. either. Doggone it. Man. Homily, it's just, a, it's just an old-fashioned word that means sermon. It's more of a one-way street. It's what we're doing right now, where, where one is teaching and instructing and speaking and, and pleading and preaching. And how many of you know, in the life of discipleship of Jesus, we need both. 
We need both teaching and instruction that is a receptive sort of act, and we need the dialogue, the two-way street, where we can talk to each other and engage with one another about the truths of God. Both are taking place here, and these people are deeply devoted to all of it. They want it all. Now, this story highlights, I mean, they go, round one is from dinner time to midnight. Round two is midnight to, when does the sun come up? 5 a.m., 5.30 a.m., right? Somewhere. So these are like two very long discipleship sessions, but they're all in on it. And how many of you know that our culture is not necessarily all in on that type of activity? Even within the church, there's a lot of push for shorter sermons and, 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 and all of that sort of stuff. Like, I would never dare to go five hours. That sounds actually kind of awful for all of your ears. But the idea of, well, let's just shorten it down and get everything kind of, you know, shortened. And instead of committed to like deep thinking and deep scriptural uh, pouring over the scriptures, we live in a soundbite culture. A few weeks ago, I watched the news on accident. Um, It was playing in the background and it was like kind of going over the course of the hour. It just made me realize how unbelievably repetitive it is. It's like the same like 15-minute cycle, just kind of over and over and over again. We live in a TED Talk culture where an expert is going to distill information down to about 12 minutes, and you will then feel like an expert because you listened to a TED Talk. And TED Talks are great. I like them. But do you know that there are experts who actually spend like thousands and thousands of hours of their lives learning those things so that they can try to distill it to you, but there's more than just a TED Talk to really truly understand a subject. Read this BuzzFeed list and you'll understand the Vietnam War. Nobody understands the Vietnam War. Oh, watch this, you know, look at this meme that explains the pandemic. Meme-demic? Like, you're kidding me, right? Like, no one knows what is going on. No one knows. Only Jesus. And even he's a little bit confused. I'm just kidding. That's a joke. Just a joke. Sound bites, a snippet, you know, a, a, a meme, a, a quick little TikTok video. And now I understand things. And friends, we also live in a culture that doesn't listen very well. We've given up the art of listening for just fighting and debating and yelling and talking past each other. And we've lost as a culture what we see here and how much of this has infiltrated and affected the church. We have in many ways lost the ability to sit and to think deeply and to dialogue and to argue in in a, in a Christ-like and loving sort of way and to ask questions and to push back and to ask and to think and to, to read a full length book and then read another book and then read a third book all on the same subject so we can try to understand it. Friends, listen, wholehearted devotion to God fuels that kind of truth seeking. I could stand up here and I could say, you need to read your Bible more. That's not going to do jack squat. It is only a heart that has been set on fire with the love of God found in Christ Jesus. We're going to say, I can't get enough of the scriptures. I can't get enough of sermons. I can't get enough dialogue with my brothers and sisters. Lord, help me understand your word. But it only comes from a heart set on fire by Jesus. By the way, There's a really cool thing that happens when we do devote ourselves to seeking God in the scriptures. We actually get more of God himself. We don't study the Bible to understand the Bible. We study the Bible to understand God and to walk in relationship with God. Because it is possible to know the Bible chapter and verse, to be much smarter and more well-read than me or any of you, and yet not have true devoted relationship with God. And I know this because 
uh, well, one podcast in particular I listen to, it's a Bible scholar podcast. It is the nerdiest podcast. Like, oh my gosh. But they interview people and they're people who are like believers in Jesus and pastors and scholars. And they do amazing work. But they also interview people who are Bible scholars that have no faith in Jesus whatsoever. They just study the Bible as an academic exercise. So friends, we do not do that. We study the scriptures, not to get a hold of the scriptures, but to get a hold of God himself. And it only comes from a heart of devotion. I'm, I'm devoted to you, God, so I want to dive in the scriptures. The more you dive in the scriptures, the more it fuels that love for God. And it's like this amazing, good feedback loop. All right, third one. Verse 17 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to read this longer section here. So jump back down to verse 17. Now, from Miletus, he, that's Paul, he sent a message over to Ephesus and he summoned the elders of the church. Now you remember, he spent a long time in Ephesus. We previously read two years. He's going to say three years here now because there's some more time. He spent a lot of time with this group of leaders. So he summoned them. And when they came to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord with all humility. There's a key word there. With tears and during the trials that came to me, through the plots of the Jews. You know that even with that humility, I didn't shy away from the hard stuff. I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem. The the, the spirit is compelling me. I have to go. And I don't even know what I'm going to encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit keeps warning me that it's nothing but chains and afflictions waiting for me. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. And now I know that none of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you, oh my gosh, think about that. Hey, we're never going to see each other again. Never going to see you again. Therefore, I declare to you on this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. So you got to be on guard. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. Elders are also called overseers and they are to shepherd or to pastor. That is the work that elders and overseers are to do. But elders and overseers must never forget that the flock does not belong to them. The flock belongs to Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Men will even rise up from within your own number. People who are part of the church and they're going to distort the truth and they're going to try to lure the disciples into following them. The Bible uses this language of wolves to describe those who teach a gospel that is contrary to the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that day and night for three years, I never stopped warning each of you with tears. And so now, I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. I haven't coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You guys know that I I worked with my own hands 
to support myself and support those people who are with me. In every way, I've shown you that it's necessary to help the weak by laboring like this and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus because he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And after he said this, he knelt down and prayed with all of them. There were many tears shed by everyone. They embraced Paul and kissed him, grieving most of all over his statement that they would never see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. There's probably like six sermons in that passage right there. But at the beginning, when Paul says, I came to you with all this humility, but then he goes on to talk about how like, bold he was in proclaiming the truth and confronting. And, and it just really struck me that there's something displayed in Paul here of a devotion to God that enables him to actually hold humility and boldness together in tension. His, his humility is bold and his boldness is humble. Let me, let me show you what I mean. The humility, it starts with emotional humility and, and vulnerability. You see it in verses 19 and in verse 31 where he talks about his tears. How many of you know it takes a real humility to let the guard down and say, this is who I really am. This is my emotional state. This is where I'm really at. Like there's a true humility there of emotional vulnerability from Paul. There's a financial humility. You see in verses like 33 and 34 where he talks about, yeah, I didn't covet anything. In fact, I, t- I took a humble posture where I worked. I mean, Paul himself said that it's, it's totally fair to pay ministers for their work of preaching the gospel. He said, don't muzzle the ox while it's treading out the grain. You let it eat. Let the, let the preachers, you know, if they, if they devote their lives to preaching the gospel, support them. He says that. But he himself didn't take up that which he could have. He says, you know what? That's, that's my message. That's okay. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to work. I'm going to make tents. I'm going to work with Priscilla and Aquila so that I don't have to take a dime from anyone and you don't have to uh, doubt my motives in this. That's really, that's really quite humble, huh? But maybe most impressive to me of all is the trusting humility that he displays in verse 32. He says, now I commit you. He says, says, I'm never going to see you again. So I just have to commit you to the Lord and to his grace. Wow. I mean, I feel that as a leader in the church, that sense of responsibility. Ah, I have to, I have to help. I have to do, I have to, that convicted me so much this week. But what about for you? Anywhere where you, just that humility to just trust, right? Parents, uh, you have to trust your kids at different points in their lives. That can be hard to do. I've, I've talked about it a little bit, but my, my oldest daughter had her driver's license for the last few months. And like, I took her to driver's ed. I took her driving. We did all this stuff months and months and months. Even was delayed because of the pandemic stuff and like months of practice and prep or whatever. And then there still came a Monday afternoon when she took her driver's license, said, bye dad, got in the car and drove off. And I stood there in the front lawn and said, that feels weird. It takes a lot of humility to say, I've, I've invested and I've worked and I've served and I love and I care. I'm entrusting you to the Lord. That's, that's humility. But there's a boldness in Paul as well. I mean, boldness of truth. Verse 20 says, I I didn't avoid proclaiming anything to you. I didn't pull my punches. I told you the truth. Verse 27, I didn't avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. I got to zoom out and tell you the whole story, the full counsel of God. Or verse 31, night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. Like Paul is committed to the truth. He's humble, but that humble, that humility does not make him wishy-washy. And he's so bold that he even will go into uh, confrontation when needed. 
In verses 28 through 30, be on guard. Wolves are going to show up. Do the hard thing of confronting them. The people are even going to raise up from within your own church, he says, and they're going to distort the truth. And you're going to have to bring confrontation to them. Well, we know, we know brother so-and-so. We know sister so-and-so. They've been a part of our church since the beginning. Yes, but they are not speaking the truth. They are not living the truth. There are things in their life or their doctrine that does not align with the truth of God's words. You have to confront them, Paul says. How many of you, just be honest, like you just don't like confrontation. It's no fun. It takes a boldness, a humble boldness to do that work of confrontation. And then there's a boldness of his purpose. He he talks about how he has to go to Jerusalem because he has to go to Rome so that he can proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. You have to imagine that at least one of those elders from Ephesus was like, well, come on, Paul, you've been here for three years. Stay with us. Come on, what's what's a few more years? He's like, I have to go. You cannot dissuade me from my purpose. You cannot change uh, my direction. I know what God has called me to do. I'm going to be bold in my pursuit of it. Friends, only this wholehearted devotion to God can lead to both humility and boldness. It's only possible through wholehearted devotion to God. Because in our natural state, some of you, you really resonate with the boldness side of things. You love a straight talker. You love a you know, straight shooter. Or you love the strength from seeing somebody who, who's bold and you like to be bold. But friends, in, in the United States of America, we have a culture that is built on a non-Christ-like type of boldness. John Wayne's swagger is not Christ-like boldness. Can I tell you a John Wayne story really quick? My mom, when she was a little girl, lived in the southeast Alaska and was playing in the woods near a river bank with her dog. A float plane landed and out of the float plane got a bunch of fishermen and one of them was John Wayne. And this story involves a, a slightly, just one word, so brace yourselves. The, John Wayne walks up to my mom, seven, eight years old at the time, and goes, is that your dog, little missy? Yes. He goes, that's one hell of a dog, and walked off. And that's it. That's the John Wayne story. Where was I going with that? Yes, the point is, as cool as that might be, in, in, in cool, like American currency of coolness and swagger, that's not Christ-like boldness. And far too often in the church, we've allowed a a type of swagger and boldness that is not Christ-like to masquerade as boldness. It's just pride. But on the other side, there is a humility that is not humility. False humility. In fact, uh, in the name of humility, being really honestly just wishy-washy, unable to stand firm on the truth, unable to speak the truth in love, unable to confront things that are just flat out wrong. Well, I don't want to be, I just want to be humble and just want to be gracious and all that. No, no, no. That's cowardice. Not humility. It takes a heart of devotion, wholehearted devotion, a heart that has been lit on fire by God to live in the tension of this boldness and this humility. And friends, it only comes through relationship with Jesus. Because Jesus came with devotion, did he not? Wasn't our Lord and Savior devoted to the scripture? Everywhere that he went, he went proclaiming the scriptures. He went from town to town preaching about the kingdom of God and reading from the scriptures. When the devil came and tempted him in the desert, as we read in our liturgy time today, what did Jesus respond with? The scripture, the word of God. 
Yes, Jesus is fully God, but in his humanity, he's fully man as well. He devoted himself to reading and studying and knowing the scriptures that the Holy Spirit inspired to be written. And Jesus came with both this boldness and this humility in perfect tension. He was bold to the religious leaders who were putting an oppressive burden on the necks of the people that was not in line with the scriptures. And he was humble with the contrite and the lowly and the broken, like the woman with the issue of blood or the, the, the woman at the well or, or Zacchaeus who came in humility. He's, he's the perfect picture of both boldness and humility. And Jesus was fully devoted to the mission that his father had given to him. Jesus did not waver an inch. He did not stop short of the goal, but he went all the way to the cross for us. That those of us who have rebelled against God and who have given place to sin in our lives could be washed clean by his blood, forgiven because of what he did on the cross and raised again to new life because he didn't stay dead. He rose again on the third day. And friends, this devotion that Jesus had ultimately is devotion to his heavenly father. In John chapter 14, he says, I just do what the father has commanded me to do so that the world may know that I love the father. And while Jesus' devotion is for us, his devotion is not ultimately to us. His devotion is to his heavenly father and we are the beneficiaries of it. So while God does love us and while God is committed to us and Jesus is committed to us, ultimately it is Jesus' devotion to his heavenly father and the mission that he was given that saves us. That is some good news. Because if Jesus' devotion was ultimately to me or to you, well, guess what? We have good days and bad days. Our passion comes, our passion goes. Our faithfulness comes, our faithfulness goes. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus' heart of love was fully devoted to the Father so that we could be saved. And it's through this gospel message that our hearts become more fully devoted to God. Like, I want us all to leave here today more devoted than when we walked in So let me just close with four quick things that I think will help us to grow in devotion. First of all, commit your entire heart to Jesus. In Psalm 86, he prays, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Friends, we need to remember that on our own, our hearts are fickle. Our hearts are you know, the passion comes and goes, the faithfulness comes and goes. But Lord, here's my whole heart. I want you to take all of it. Some of you are here today and you have never truly given your heart to Jesus. Some of you think that to be a Christian means you go to church occasionally and you try to be a good person. And I'm here to tell you today that while that's admirable for what it is, it falls far short of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus came to die, to rise again, to take the entirety of who you are and set it on fire with devotion to him. Following God is not a matter of, oh, I try to do the right thing. It's realizing that you have been rescued from death and hell itself. How could I not surrender everything to him? Some of you here today need to be saved. You need to give your life to Jesus. And you come find me afterwards and I'll talk with you. But for those of you who have given your life to Jesus, recognize there's still that dividing thing that happens in our flesh. So seek to commit your whole heart to him. Number two, I encourage you to eliminate distractions. 
There's a passage in 1 Corinthians 7. The, the context of 1 Corinthians 7 is where Paul's talking about marriage. And he says, look, single people have an advantage. You're not married. You actually have an advantage. Because you can be, he says, more fully devoted to the Lord without distractions. Now, listen, married people, don't go changing your status here, okay? Stay as you are. Paul also says that pretty darn clearly. But the point being, principally, that there are things in this life that just take our attention. Even good things, a wonderful thing like marriage, can be a type of a distraction. What are those distractions in your life that you can eliminate, that you should eliminate, so that you can have a heart that is more fully devoted to God? Number three, I'm pleading with you to commit to deep thought. Think deeply. Reject the BuzzFeed, TikTok, Snapchat, TikTok, Instagram, tweet version of expertise out there and really know the scriptures. Really know the truth about what you believe. Really devote yourself to thinking deeply about the things of God. Commit yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching, to both uh, uh, homileo and dialegomai, like both. If you're not in a community group, get in a community group and start wrestling with the questions. If you're in a community group and you're not being honest and real and asking the questions that are really going on, please be honest and real and ask the real questions that are going on. We have to commit to deep thinking and wrestling with the truth. And then number four, last thing, face hard things with both boldness and humility. This whole chapter we looked at today is just hard things, traveling, opposition, long sermons, long elder meetings, never going to see you again, just all these difficult things. And as I said from the beginning, it is only a heart set on fire with devotion for God that can enable us to face those hard things. So face them, face them, trust the spirit of God within you and face them. And as we come to the table now and Pastor John leads us in the Lord's Supper, I just ask and I pray that God would set our hearts on fire and even nourish us with this heart of devotion. Lord, we bring our hearts to you now. Lord, we confess that on our own, we are not devoted. Our hearts turn to the left. Our hearts turn to the right. And we wander after all sorts of things and we're distracted and we're apathetic. Lord, would you forgive us? And as we eat of the bread and as we drink of the cup, would you yourself meet with us and nourish our spirits to have hearts more fully devoted to you? And as we lift our voices and we sing to you, would you help our hearts to be set on fire with devotion to you? And even later, as we leave this place and go out into our weeks and our jobs and our work and everything else that we have going on, would we live lives of more pure devotion to you for the glory of Jesus? It's in his name we pray. Amen.